Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Yeah, you can laugh. You have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you I'd like to stay alive. I'd say it to your face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield. I'm going to see them. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Owen McDevitt, Ken Hi, Owen. How are you doing? Ah, good. I'm Kieran Murphy. Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Sorry, I'm not doing good. I'm doing well. That's good. Martin O'Neill has made it pretty clear. The next move in the Jack Reedish story needs to be made by Jack Reedish. The ball is in his court, to use the cliche. With that in mind, I took a look at his Twitter account this afternoon. Yeah. And there's some big news right here. Good training session this morning. Nice to meet all the fans afterwards. Looking forward to Sunday's game now. Smiley face, football emoticon. <laughs> so Jack Reedish, Yeah, an emoticon yeah. of football. So uh, Jack Reedish is yet to, um, yet to fully commit to Ireland, but I'm taking that he's still... Very interested in football. He's in, so, a, he's in a positive frame of mind. He's in a positive frame of mind. So that should, be, that should be good news for Ireland and bad news for England. Picking through the bones of his emoji use there, I'm mm. going to say he's still very much Irish. Is it fair enough for Martin O'Neill to... Well, it's not really Martin O'Neill can do. He said, listen, I tried to get him in for the all-man game and I'm just going to have to leave it for the time being and let him make a decision so that he doesn't end up being rushed into something. Yeah. Um, I mean, Martin O'Neill is, is obviously doing the... Um, you don't want to seem too interested. You don't want to... You don't want to seem needy, yeah. You know, um, uh, it's not as though, it's not as though, really, it's of any great consequence to Ireland. Jack Grealish's decision. We've got talented players coming out our ears. Uh, You know, if if he does join up with the Irish team, he's going to be playing with a lot of talented players. He'll have a get in in line, buddy. He'll have a fight in his hands to get into that team. Uh, I think that's what we want him to think. Uh, and hope, hope that's. I what. think he's showing a bit of empathy there as well with the guy. He's saying, "Look, I don't want him to be rushed into a decision that he might uh, regret." I'm paraphrasing a little bit from O'Neill, and I, that's, there's maybe a selfish part to that too, where O'Neill doesn't want to be lumbered with a guy who's made a decision a little too quickly, and then mm-hmm. thinks maybe he shouldn't have made it. So, for all concerned, it seems like the thing to do is just to yeah. wait and, it out. Yeah, and in a weird kind of way, he's going to keep getting asked about Jack Grealish uh, as long as he keeps keeps naming 36-man squads because there's literally nothing else to ask him about. Yes. You've named everyone, uh, Martin O'Neill. Everyone <laughs> is in the squad, Martin. Um, why do you feel the need to pick everyone? You know, there's not, there's not a whole lot of ground you can, you can cover there. 40 years ago today, Don Given smashing a hat-trick against the USSR at a fevered Daily Mount Park in the mm-hmm. year 76 qualifiers. <laughs> Murph, you're smiling. Well, uh, just uh, I've had recent uh, calls to watch this game, yep. and uh, you were, it was amazing. You were dressed up as the man himself uh, mm. last night on national television. Complete indeed. with fake hands. So. But we've got the real Don Givens on the show this evening. Pay respect. Can you take us, through those, take us through those goals, Ken? Uh, paint a mental picture of the three goals. First goal, first half, Joe Kinnear, uh, right side, uh, lofted diagonal ball, Don Givens running onto it, nutting into the bottom corner. Second goal, throw in, Steve Highway. Long throw, immaculate technique. He's almost like um, 
you know, it's you know, you, when you see that sort of a guy who's really catapulting himself into a, into a long mm-hmm. throw, he's sort of leaning back and then springs the, the whole, you know, the, the top of his body forward. The sound effect really helped. Ball into the area. <laughs> it did, didn't it? A bit of confusion at the near post. Not clear. Don Gibbons uh, in there. Uh, penalty, uh, a rat of the penalty area. <laughs> pounces, <laughs> pounces like a starving rat on the ball. And well, he's it beyond the... Fox in the box. The goalkeeper. Fox in the box goal of really top-class proportions. Third goal, uh, second half. Um, but a foul on the right side of the area. Uh, not not in the area, sorry. It was outside the box, obviously. Um, free kick, Johnny Giles. Flighted in. Don Givens, there again. 3-0. Uh, runs to celebrate with the fans. All goals celebrated with the fans. Uh, running straight in, uh, Don Gibbons is a man who liked to get in amongst the fans, yeah. in amongst the people, and get in there with his concrete forehead. It's the kind of thing that you're not allowed to do anymore yeah. at football. Well, the fans aren't uh, the fans aren't allowed to encroach quite as far as the pitch anymore. The fans are, they're not allowed to do any of this. It's all so it's all so sterilized and segregated. I mean, safer, yes, but uh, it did look like a lot of fun. It did for everybody who was there. I'm sure it was actually really uncomfortable. For mm. almost everybody in the stadium, I mean, there were vast swathes and couldn't see what was going on in the game. Couldn't see anything, you know. Obviously, forget about. I mean, people people moan about the queues at the at the at the. Hot uh, dogs uh, down. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, not a hope of getting to a toilet. Yeah, you know, that's all. You got to take that into account. You know, it was a it was a really it was a visceral experience. Mm. It was the physicality of simply attending a football match in those days. We yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have the man himself, Don Gibbons, on a little bit later on. I hope he didn't cut your sentence short there, Ken. No, I, 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 I was I was I was petering. I was puttering to a halt there. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we're also going to be talking to the U Boys and Green supporters group about the ticket situation for the the game against Scotland, which has caused a huge amount of angst. And that's where we're going to start. Ken Hardy's report on sport. So everyone was waiting to see what the FAI were going to say about this situation. We were, we were mentioning it on, on Monday. Yeah, what's the background, just for people who aren't... Essentially, the problem aware. being that um, when the tickets... the A lot of people received emails on Friday telling them, you haven't your application for tickets for Scotland against Ireland has, has been rejected. You don't have a ticket. Sorry. Uh, this was sent just after closing, close of business on Friday, you know. Um, and the thing is, a lot of people who didn't get the ticket, obviously, given that the FAI received 3,200 tickets or thereabouts from the um, SFA, um, and there were, according to the FAI, four times as many applications, a lot of people are, are going to miss out. But why should people be missing out who are regular ten, uh, attendees at Ireland away matches? Surely they're the ones who should be looked after first in a situation where there aren't enough tickets to go around mm-hmm. but that definitely wasn't the case so you had a lot of people who had who, who had been to you know all the games or most of the away games over the last few years not getting uh, not getting the tickets which is a bit of a you know it's not good PR for the for the FAI I mean if you're if you're hardcore fans I mean what what else is the measure of a hardcore fan um, we're talking about, yeah, hardcore enough. we're talking to yeah guys going to Kazakhstan the this sort of it's it, Georgia, you know, um, Faroe Islands, uh, and then and then not getting tickets. So, you know, people were waiting to see. And the FAI did put out a statement um, yesterday, and they said uh, they they essentially tried to blame the SFA for not giving them enough tickets. Um, they said it's particularly disappointing the Scottish FA is continuing to sell tickets on its website after they told us the match was sold out. Many of these tickets are now being taken up by Irish supporters out of desperation. A situation that could be resolved easily by providing adequate numbers of away tickets. So the, the <clears throat> essentially the FAI are making a point. You told us that you couldn't give us more than this um, small number of tickets for health and safety reasons, and yet, as a result of the way that you've done it, you're now going to have loads of Ireland fans in with the Scotland fans. Where does that leave your health and safety? That seems like a legitimate argument from the FAI that they should be getting more tickets officially through the SFA rather than. It going ad hoc. It's kind of sidestepping the argument that was being made by the fans. We will talk to Kevin McDade from uh, You Boys in Green, who had um, compiled or had essentially set up a system whereby fans who had been to these away matches, who hadn't got tickets, could go in and log the data of the matches that they'd been to to get you know an actual statistical picture of who's missing out here. So to have something to present to the FAI, not just be a bunch of people going, "We don't have any tickets. We're angry," you know, and saying, yep. "Well, you know, who are you?" Like, I mean, not everyone gets a ticket. Um, so, so to actually have a real um, uh, picture of what's going on, but the but the point is that it's sidestepping the issue on on the FAI's part. 
even if they only got 3,200 tickets, there's still more than enough tickets there to ensure that fans who are going to all the away games have tickets. Loads more. Because there's not 3,200 people going to these games. You know, much more. Talking about less than 10% of that number. You know, um, the FBI did provide a breakdown of what happens to these tickets. They said 1,700 went to supporters clubs, season ticket holders, club Ireland members and known away supporters. 700 went to clubs and leagues. Fulfillment of contractual obligations also meant there were fewer tickets available to the association to distribute directly for this match. 481 went to Abbey Travel uh, for supporters, travel packages as per contract. Uh, 128 went to sponsors. The remaining 200 tickets between players, backroom team, FAI staff and team management. So, uh, again, we will talk about this um, in more detail later. But John Delaney has been on Today FM today, uh, talking to Ray Darcy, mm-hmm. um, lashing the SFA again. Uh, and also uh, admitting that mistakes have been made. I don't know if he's if he's saying mistakes have been made by him. He said there certainly were mistakes made by us. Certain hardcore and loyal fans did not get tickets. I became aware emails started to flood into me personally. We went out and bought 150 tickets personally at £125 sterling and we're selling them to those fans at £45 sterling to try and rectify an error that was made. Uh, what we're going to do after this game is appoint a liaison officer who will deal directly with the away fans that do not want to join supporters groups. Um, but you'll never get, you'll never get it right if you don't have enough, enough tickets. You just can't get it right. Uh, but th- this is this. I accept that there are certain mistakes from our side. One of the guys inside the FAI said to me the other day, "I took my eye off the ball in certain cases, and I have to accept that mistakes are made." Now I don't know if John Delaney is saying this guy said to him. You took your eye off the ball, or, or I took, took his eye I took my eye off the ball. It seems to be I took my eye off the ball, as in that guy, this unnamed FAI guy, seems to have taken his eye off the ball. Mm-hmm. And John Delaney is kind of like, oh, you know, just Gulliver brought low by the Lilliputians again. Sometimes it's just you're trying, you're trying to do the best job you can. You're just trying to run in a football association. It's not an easy, not an easy job. Trying to do the best job you can, and then. You got people making mistakes. Well, look, I would say that John Delaney is like one of those managers who says, "I don't mind if you if you're going to make mistakes. I don't mind if you make mistakes. Just go out there and and do your best because you've got my you've got my support. You've got my backing." I would say he's one of those types of managers. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll talk to Kevin McDade about that, as I said later on. In the meantime, Manchester uh, City, <laughs> yeah, Man City, Jesus. knocked out of the League Cup. So, Key crunch match against their hated foes. It's almost as though it's almost as though Man City. Yeah, they're playing Man United this weekend. But what do you, do you do? You think Man United are going to win that match? No. I mean, it seems Man City are really phoning it in in all the matches they don't care about. I mean, which which unfortunately for them includes quite a lot of Premier League matches in which there are points at stake. You know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were to play quite well against Man United and beat them. But um, but they don't seem to have have any consistency at all. Um, I mean, it's not looking good really for. For Manuel Pellegrini. I mean, looking at this, okay, this is only a League Cup match last night. It doesn't really affect the bigger picture, but they may already have blown the league. I mean, if they don't beat Manchester United, they're in a they're in a really bad way. I mean, Chelsea seem to be streets out of them now. This is a team they finished ahead of, you know, uh, in May. Yep. Um, uh, and he's talking about tiredness. Uh, David Silva looks like he's out of the game. Co- uh, not Colo Torre, Yaya Torre, apparently has a tired groin. So he might be out of the game too. Not that based on his form sorry, this season. Sorry, what does he have? A tired groin. A tired groin. Tired groin, yeah. Like a sleepy groin. Tired, it's tired. That's a strange... It's been through a lot. That's a, that's a strange word to use there. Um, I'd be wary of going too far down that road, though. Uh, of which... Of which uh, painting Chelsea's streets ahead of Man City. They've been more consistent so far, but... Man City are a couple of wins in a row away, I would have thought, at all times from... Being back in the league title chase, you know, mm. then they've suddenly gone. Well, if they have suddenly gone completely off the boil, that that's another that's another matter. But we're still what are we? End of October, Halloween time. Um, oh, and nice yeah. five six months still to go in season. Oh no, there's there's still time. It's just that I don't, I don't know the way they're the way they're playing doesn't inspire any confidence. But yeah, I mean it is going to be a big game. Yeah, so early we, game on Saturday. We do have to analyze the teams as they go. I, I, I'm mm. si- don't worry about that, Ken. We'll just we'll analyze it in, in April. You know, judges yeah. at the end of the season <laughs> yeah. is the thing that a manager can very, say, but journalists saying it is very kind of short <laughs> report on sports and follow that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, the quarterfinals in that competition: Derby County against Chelsea, Tottenham Newcastle, Sheffield United against Southampton, and Bournemouth against Liverpool. 
who had a big win for them on Tuesday, looked like they were going to get knocked out mm-hmm. by a Swansea City team inspired by uh, John Joe Shelby. And this isn't even John Joe Shelby's favourite ball sport. Okay, John Joe, you're morning. Okay, let's go. John Joe Shelby, the king of the golf. The king of the golf course. <laughs> What's that? Where are you from? That's uh, Brad Rogers there a couple of years back in the documentary, remember? Oh, yeah, okay, behind king the scenes. of the, the golf. golf. So, sorry, what's happened there? John Joe Shelby's... They're heading off after a morning's training. And uh, as John Joe oh, this Shelby... This banter between the, 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 between the manager word. and the player. Oh, okay. So, John Joe Shelby's running off the pitch in front of Brendan Rogers. Rogers really didn't show it on that documentary. <laughs> uh, well, you could say that. <laughs> you could say that. He did do it, didn't he? You know, it's all of the golf course. Carol <laughs> <laughs> Murphy. It's all, it's all uh, water under the bridge. Yeah. He was speaking today, everyone. We were just talking about uh, uh, he refused to. He, he says, I'm just bored of your questions about Mary Balotelli now. Uh, and also, he's bored of the questions about Daniel Sturridge's injury. Now, I remember we were talking about this last week. Roger said something funny about Sturridge along the lines of a great player has to play games. It's all very well getting getting props for your wonderful ability, but it's not much use if you can't actually get in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, And it was a strange thing, I thought, for a manager to say about an injured player, because usually a player is injured, he can't, he can't play, it's regrettable, wait till he gets fit, and everything's going to be fine. Um, it, it almost sounded as though Rodgers was, was sort of telling Sturridge to hurry up and stop being injured, you know what I mean? Um, Sturridge actually has had some things to say about this, and, and it's I find his I find it quite listen just listen to what he says. He's he's on Talksport and he says, I play my game as best I can, but I've been unfortunate this season. Maybe it's my body type, maybe it's hereditary. Both my uncles had injuries and my dad had them as well. Maybe it's the Caribbean vibes. Maybe I have speed, but maybe it makes you more vulnerable because of the fast twitch muscles and the speed at which you're moving. I am vulnerable to muscle injuries. As long as I continue to work hard, everything will take care of itself. That's strange, isn't it? A player to speak about his own vulnerability mm. in, in kind of su- in, in in both such a detailed and also yet vague way. I mean, he says the word maybe about ten times, um, suggesting all kinds of things that could be wrong with him. Mm. You don't often hear a no. player talk that way. No. Um, I mean, it seems as though they're they. W- I think Liverpool would kind of like him to start maybe thinking a bit more positively about yeah, this. I think so, players in general. Don't like you don't they just don't talk about their injuries particularly unless it's um, fr- was it Frank Lampard who showed an interviewer his toe? I think so. That yeah, had yeah. been destroyed. Over I was looking career. for that interview recently. Actually, I couldn't find it. It seems to have disappeared into an archive. So I think it was in the Times. I've been through the pain barrier, David Hay style. If it suits a sports person, they might talk about injuries, yeah. but no, they don't. You, you don't want to talk about your mindset around injuries or anything yeah. like that because that's not when you're injured you not can when do it when, in- you're back, yeah. when you're back fit and you say right well I felt really low yeah. but and even then oftentimes I think yeah. I think sports people can be wary of, of talking too much detail and, and it's, it's also sort of fatalistic you know it's it's injury uh, it's hereditary you know maybe it's maybe it's the Caribbean vibes Caribbean vibes I assume is, is a joke um, I mean he what he says about uh, fast twitch muscles and speed and so on I mean it is true that players uh, like I mean this 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 goes back to the whole thing that Rogers was saying to Hodgson a few uh, weeks back. Well, I thought it was going back to John Joe. What Rogers said to John Joe Shelby. Oh no! What I mean, nothing to do with that. No, John. Uh, the words to John Joe Shelby are immortal. But this is uh, when we saying to Hodgson, you know, when players like Sterling and Sturridge, explosive players, need longer to recover, or you risk uh, injuring them. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> it's something that we I think we were talking about when we had David Epstein on. It's the second time we mentioned David Epstein today. We you mentioned him in the other podcast as well. Did you know David Epstein? I think he's in. Our, he might be in Ireland at the moment. He's in Ireland next week anyway, and he yeah. was here last week. Does he fly home in between? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe he checked out the Wild Atlantic Way. Anyway, back to the last Twitch Vibers again. Yeah. We have David, if you're listening, we hope you're enjoying yeah. your trip to Ireland. The, West, the West Coast is beautiful. Yeah, you should Make try sure it. Don't, don't, don't get stuck in Dublin. In many ways, that's the Ireland that, you know, they sell you in the brochures. But anyway, David, the, the enjoy your day. Story, the, the interesting football writer story in his book was, was about Danish players in the Danish First Division who uh, a physiologist called Jesper Andersen had studied their... Uh, muscle fibers and found out that the, on average they were they had fewer fast twitch fibers as a percentage of their uh, muscles than like ordinary people in the street. Mm. You know, he was like, "Well, I don't understand this." It's supposed to be footballers. I mean, pace is a really prized asset in football. Why is the average professional footballer 
have what what is the average professional footballer have fewer fast twitch fibers than just a regular Joe Self? Yeah. Um, and the hypothesis that he well the reason was in his opinion that was that the players with fast switch with a greater proportion of fast switch fibers actually got injured out at an earlier age. They were injured by the training. They couldn't they couldn't cope with the kind of training that you do in football, which is everyone kind of does the same sort of training. And uh, that these guys were were kind of weeded out by that by that pro- by that process. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, Owen, I thought you were I, I honestly looked at you there and you just had this glazed look in your eye. I thought, oh no, this story isn't going very well. This, <laughs> oh, this I'm, I'm, Danish I'm f- f- football physiology story is... No, no, please continue, it's Ken. It's just an empty look I'm just going to skip, uh, put on my Homer Simpson on jury duty glasses here. <laughs> well, continue. I feel terrible. I've heard Ken's feelings here. I you have, you have. Come on. Of... I, just, I will be honest, I was also checking a, uh, just a message I had to check here. In okay. relation to the show, Simon yeah. is trying to communicate something to me here. So there was. I just thought you'd be texting there the next time. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> literally yeah, on, on the phone to people. Go on, yeah. yeah, no, Ken's in the middle of his report on sport. <laughs> okay, well, what about if we talk to about Roy Keane? Would that be? Oh, Roy Keane! Now you have me again. Right. Go on. What's he? What's he got and said now? He's actually uh, got and said quite a lot. I think he's a, he's actually done a brilliant interview with uh, Shortlist.com, a website I. I don't think I'd heard of before, but they've got a brilliant Roy Keane interview where, I mean, it's just, I, can't, I don't know. I mean, he, there's so many things, so many things in this interview. Pick a, pick a, pick a couple of that. He says, um, bottom line, my personality doesn't suit being in the public eye. I'm not some monkey who can get up and do a show. <laughs> I mean, he's not a monkey uh, or an actor, uh, but he... He, ha- he he does do shows. He's been doing them. He's been doing a road show for the last while. Apparently, it's been it's been a sensation. You know, he definitely can do that. But he says uh, people want you to behave in a certain way, and I'm like, nah, not today. And I don't want to smile. I'm not going to. So people go, ah, he's a miserable bastard. So they say, well, do you get approached a lot? And he goes, it happens. I find people dead nosy. You're at a train station, and they're like, where are you going? I'm like, where are you going? Dead intrusive. <laughs> they can't comprehend you might be looking for some uh, privacy people want to take a photo and it's like I'm with my family in holiday can you not understand that are you stupid uh, does he, he say these things to people or he thinks that I, th- I think he probably does you know just I love the idea of Roy Keane standing on a train platform people are like where are you going Roy <laughs> and he doesn't even just say, well, you know, Woking or wherever. Yeah. You know, I'm, he, going, I'm Birmingham today. <laughs> uh, and they say, Eric Hansen and Vinnie Johns have gone from football harbour to film stars. Would you consider acting? Well, I couldn't see it, says Roy, but I'm more open to stuff now. I've had the celebrity Big Brother offers and the jungle stuff. I met the jungle people, but I thought, nah, not for me. But the more you say no, the more determined they are to get you. So who knows? There's more to life than football. Uh, then he has a little pop at Mourinho. <clears throat> Yeah, you recently criticised Jose Mourinho's attempt to shake your hand before a match had finished. Now, I was there when he issued this criticism. This was a totally throwaway moment. I mean, it was the very last thing that was asked before. Everyone was already being herded away by the PR. This is the, month, the, the day of his book launch. Yeah. Um, and someone, one of the English guys who was over said, oh, Roy, you know, by the way, because that, that sort of vine had gone around of him ignoring Mourinho's attempt to shake his hand. And they said, what do you think of that? And he goes, oh, you know, I think it's a disgrace. You know, you, you do that in a... You do that in the park, you get knocked out. You know, but it was kind of just, it wasn't like part of his, he, he literally wasn't thinking about it two seconds yeah, before this question away, was yeah. asked. And then it got turned into this, oh, Mourinho, Keane slams Mourinho. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just sort of, it's, but Mourinho had to go back at him then, uh, calling him uh, uh, polite and well-educated with, I guess, heavy sarcasm. It was, uh, he said something about it. I remember, he'd had a week to get his ass together. I'm sure he had all his PR people trying to come up with something. So I thought he'd have come up with something a bit better. Uh, and and they say well the, <clears throat> they say the PR side of the game doesn't seem like something you're you've ever been interested in Roy, and he says I don't get the PR stuff <laughs> I don't get the PR stuff says you know just football's bulk, biggest uh, yeah. publicity genius he's in the middle of a PR uh, campaign when while yeah. saying that I, he's doing an interview as part of his publicity <laughs> he says I did a gig I did a gig last week at Tesco with some really good people Torval and Dean Gareth Thomas. <laughs> The Stig. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing combination of people. It's like the incredible journey, you know? Like a cat, uh, a pigeon, and a lizard all, <laughs> all, all walk across America or something. <laughs> you know? Roy Keane, Torvald, Dean, Gareth Thomas, and the Stig are all in Tesco. 
At the end, someone asked, why should we buy your books? I was cringing. They all gave nice answers. And I said, to be honest, I don't care. I'm sure the publishers are going, this guy's a disaster. Because I should have said, my book will change your life. Join me on my journey. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to employ a PR to get a different image about me out there. Uh, branding, absolute nonsense. Give out information, sure. But don't try to make out we're all great human beings, great dads, great husbands. Get a, get a picture of me in the park with my kids so it looks like I'm a great dad. That's what people do. And they get bloody awards. GQ wanted to give me an award for its man of the year. What crap is that? Who says I'm a man of the year? Some editor? These so-called busy people collecting an award at some London do. Utter nonsense. You're dictating the man of the year. But you don't know what these people are up to. They could be drug addicts. They could be selling drugs. <laughs> That's Roy Gaines' reaction to being offered the man of the year. <laughs> he talks about Neville and Skulls. And he said... Uh, Gary Neville seems to have won over even non-United fans. Oh, he, this is a point, this question. I don't think he has. Certain papers write stories about Gary winning everyone over. He's writing for these same newspapers, you know? As for Skulls, people don't realise Skulls could have done TV interviews at United, but he couldn't be arsed. People thought he was camera shy, but he just couldn't be bothered. None of us liked doing interviews, but it was a responsibility of the dressing room. He shared the load. Skulls, he's too humble to do it. Well, he's doing it now, isn't he? Maybe there's more money involved now. I'd tell him this if he was sat here in front of me. Uh, he also rejects the idea of players singing, you know, uh, uh, as United captain, did you make players do initiations, just singing in front of the team? No, I don't like that stuff. They do that with Ireland as well, apparently. Mm. It happens now at Villa, but if I was a player at New Club and someone said, you've got to sing tonight, I just wouldn't do it. I sing for nobody. <laughs> people, people say it's banter, but I don't like that type of banter. I'd help players for making sure they settled in properly, making sure my wife touched base with their family. That was my way. Uh, last question is, what was the last film you saw? Gone Girl. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I went with a couple of lads in the Ireland team, but if I was on my own, honestly, I would have walked out. I sing... I sing for nobody. That's definitely... Roy King's third autobiography will be called yeah. I Sing for Nobody. That's a t-shirt. That life yeah. motto is what it is. It's the end of Ken Erdy's Report on Sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. <laughs> players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no no, no obviously none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean I mean, you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, I don't know we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. We've talked about the controversy surrounding the ticket distribution of the trip to Glasgow. We've touched on it on, on John Delaney's defence of the FAI or his comments on the FAI's handling of it. Kevin McDay joins us now from you boys in green, the supporters group. Kevin, good to chat to you. Uh, you were involved in a meeting with the FAI. You've put out a statement. They've put out their statement. We've heard a little bit about that. Where are we at now? Um, where we're at, as you say, it's a very fluid scenario. Um, we're, you know, The FAI put out a statement last night shifting a lot of blame onto the SFA and saying, look, this only came about because we didn't get enough tickets, basically. Um, we would just reject that. We would accept the FAA's point, like a more preferable solution would be we, the Irish supporters would have received more tickets, but it still doesn't take away from the absolute failure in which the tickets that the FAA did get, how they opted to allocate those tickets. Um, obviously, the chief executive has appeared on some media outlets this morning, and um, we're just working through uh, some of the things which he said on that. You know, some of the quotes which uh, pop out that you would require the wisdom of Solomon to allocate tickets. Like we would absolutely reject that completely. What you need is a clear and transparent system. The Scottish FA can do it. The English FA can do it. You do not need the wisdom of Solomon in order to allocate tickets so that you can stand over your system. What the FA is, they have a system which is fundamentally broken and they cannot stand over how they allocate the tickets. The statement that they uh, that the FAI put out initially, they did explain in a bit of detail where the tickets have gone within the just over 3,200 that they've got. They say 1,700 went to supporters' clubs, 700 went to clubs in leagues. Uh, they said 481 to Abbey Travel for supporters' packages as per contract, 128 to sponsors, 200 t- tickets divided between players, backroom team, FAI staff and team management. Um, on, just looking at Baldy without uh, having... Uh, for the, the average person having a look at that, you'd think, well, they seem to be explaining, uh, they seem to be quite transparent there and telling you where the tickets have actually gone. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if we go through those and what we said to the FAA was, look, we absolutely accept you guys get 3,200 tickets. 3,200 tickets are not going to be able to, available to fans. We 100% accept that. You have your contractual obligations to sponsors. You've got your con- contractual obligation to your travel partner. You absolutely have to look after players. You've got the leagues. You've got FAA council members. You've got FAA delegates. All those people absolutely have the opportunity to fly for tickets. We don't dispute that at all. Um, I suppose what we come down to is we're still left with a number of seven now, Ken, Ken travels to many of the away games. Um, Ken, I don't know if you want to put an estimate on how many people do you think might have done every single away game last time around? Just any sort of ballpark figure. How many people what? would have done every single away game last time around? And I mean, yeah. in order to have done every single away you game, to you have to go into Kazakhstan. You would have gone to the Pharaohs as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine it was more than... Fifty to hundred people who, who would have gone to all the maybe not even that many I don't know yeah so let, let's take your upper limit of a hundred okay yeah. so even in the sample of data which we collected which is only that it's only a sample we accept that it's weighted towards people who travel but it's only a sample not complete we have already established thirty people who went to every single game in the last campaign and have missed out on these tickets this is out of a pot of seventeen hundred. And again, the chief executive used the phrase in his radio prints as one that this was a mistake. A mistake is that you might miss one or two names. We said that to the FAI. We said, look, if you're reviewing the list, absolutely, you can miss a name or two. Nobody would blame me. That's what happens. To miss potentially 30% of people who went to every game, that shows that there's just been a complete failure of the ticketing allocation system that's in place. So, I mean, I, I, I've seen these John Delaney quotes, I mean, are, are fairly... What do you think of the way that they're blaming the Scots? I mean, he's describing... Um, you know, their statement, essentially they put out a statement saying we fulfilled our obligations for away tickets. He says this is a joke. Um, uh, and the, the statement that the FAI put out themselves uh, was quite critical and seemed to essentially be, well, they should have given us more tickets. I mean, it's not really up to the Scottish The Scottish FA have, I mean, I have to say that well, what <laughs> they the did FAI, fulfill yeah. their well, obligations. What the FAI are saying is that they're disappointed in the statement. And certainly they say that they're disappointed in the Scottish FA for continuing to sell tickets on its website. And they're saying that now Irish fans are getting tickets, are scrambling to get these tickets from the Scottish FA's website when they should just be given uh, via the FAI, they should be given to Irish fans. Yeah, well, again, as I went back to the start, like as you guys have identified and I referred to, um, the FAI statement clearly attempts to shift the blame to mm. SFA. That's a Bible. That's a separate issue. Um, the FAI still got 3,200 tickets. Um, when we met with them, they were unable to explain how the type of groups which you've identified. And, and if even, we even go to a more extreme example, Ken, um, there are people who we've identified a number of fans who have Ireland have played about 25 games in the last four years, competitive and friendly. So we've identified people who attended more than 20 of those games and missed out on tickets. You know, it whatever the Scots did or did not give within the 1700, if the FAA had a clear and transparent system along lines of the Scottish FAA system, I'm sure plenty of people listened to the podcast over the last couple of days when this has become clear, we're able to log in, buy a ticket. You can, If you're a member of their system, you can log in, see the number of points that you have, see the number of points that that would give you, what games you could get access to, etc. The FAA do not have a clear and transparent system. Yeah, well, it's completely unclear as to how they allocate tickets. And that really is the, the crux of this because, I mean, whatever about the issues surrounding this one particular game. And I mean, you can understand the annoyance of people who are regular um, regular travellers to these matches who are missing out on what's one of our most attractive away fixtures in a, in a long time. But whatever about this game, what about the, the system for the future? I mean, why don't they have a system? It seems to be that it's the most obvious thing in the world. I mean, clubs, you know, clubs have it. Uh, a lot of, you know, you mentioned Scotland has this system. Why do we not have this system for our international team? Well, Jane, like if we take another direct quote from the chief executive this morning, he said, we will get it right next time round. Again, you guys know, um, you keep an eye on the Irish team fortunes. We've had this in Zelenia. We've had it in Estonia. We've had it in Andorra. And now we've had it here for Glasgow. That's four times in the last four years. Um, this has happened all the time. As we have previously pointed out, we have pre- uh, presented proposals to them well over a year ago. Um, they wouldn't commit to those proposals. We actually went back and looked um, last night. The first genesis of these ideas were actually posted five years ago, uh, and just before the France playoff came to say, look, we need to put a ticketing um, system in place. When we discussed that with the FAI, they said, look, we're not prepared to commit to that. We can't commit to uh, any sort of timeline on that. What, for, what, uh, for what reason, though? I don't understand. Again, Ken, I would love to be able to give you an answer to that question, but 
like quite honestly, that's a question which the association has to answer. Like yeah. as we try to point I mean, out I, to them, I, I, I just I'm just saying. I mean that you've you you met with them, you know, this week. I mean, if you've had dealings with them before about this, I mean, what kind of reasons do they tend to give when this question is put? I mean, because I, I, this is something which has come up repeatedly. Yeah, this is something which has come up repeatedly, and and quite honestly, I was very surprised at the lack of detail or the lack of clarity that they were able to provide. Anybody that travels to Ireland Games regularly knows, and it's the same for journalists, Can you, you will know this, you log into the accreditation portal, it's very similar for fans, you log into the ticket portal, you submit your information, they have all this data. They've had it for like a year, two years. It's been going back before that where you had to submit your travel information. They have all the travel um, information. And we were saying to them, look, guys, in 24 hours, we were able to point out that there has been complete systemic failure in the method in which you allocated tickets for this game. So can you explain to us how you allocated tickets? Why are you not using the infrastructure you have in place? They have a ticketing partner, Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster, as you guys know, do this for Leinster, do it for Munster, do it for clubs and associations around the world. Even if you leave Ticketmaster aside, we were able to show in a couple of hours with Excel um, what the issues were here. The FAA just were unclear as to how they use the data. Do they even use the data that they previously have? Um, you know, just again, those are a lot of questions for the FAA to answer as to why they will not come up to an immediate and complete implementation of a clear and transparent ticketing system. Nobody is saying, look, I'm guaranteed a ticket for the Georgia match or I'm guaranteed a ticket for the Scotland match. We're not saying that. What people want is that you can log in and go, okay, I have this number of points. There were this number of tickets. They went down to this level. Absolutely. We said to the FAA in the meeting, look, if you guys need to take off 20, 30, 40% off the top to fulfill the, the categories which you spoke about, Owen, that's absolutely fine. But put the rest into the pot and let people understand how they were allocated out. You know, that's, that's all people are asking for. You mentioned the Zelina trip there uh, a minute or two ago. I mean, I, I remember that trip. That was the one where John Delaney hired the train. Uh, I, remember, I remember he. We did an interview with him. He told us, "Yeah, we we got the train." He, I, I, he was talking about it again on TV recently. I think he loves telling a story. Yeah, you know, we we just got a train and got everyone on that train, and 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 obviously John Delaney provided entertainment, uh, and ev- everyone seemed to have a whale of a time. Judging by the pictures of the supporters alighting at the train platform in Zelina, it was a kind of an ad hoc solution from a maverick chief executive. Uh, well, again, Ken, one of the other stories which you might remember from that trip is that they were conducting raffles for tickets in the team hotel. Yeah, they, and I've seen that. I've seen that kind of thing happen in other um, in other cities. You know, raffles going on in bars and this kind of stuff, which is great for the fans, I suppose, who get the tickets. But I mean, John Delaney, I see, uh, also told Ray Darcy. Uh, that he's attempting to come up with with something, you know, he's doing his best here, he says, uh, and another ad hoc solution is, he says, quote, what I tried to do in the association was to rectify the situation over the weekend by buying corporate tickets at £125 and selling them back for £45. Um, which is great, but it, it it is all very ad hoc, though, at the same time, isn't it? Well, again, there's, there's two real questions to be answered on that, as you can. Again, we sat in front of senior um, FAI representatives, you would know who they are, on Tuesday, and they said to us, look, at an absolute maximum, we can source 50 tickets. That's the absolute maximum that we can source. And we said, look, we accept that. You're saying that that's your absolute face value. We're, we're taking at your word there. Um, John Delaney is now claiming that over the weekend he bought 150 tickets. That's 15,000 of revenue that the FEA is trying to put in to rectify a situation which has come about because of a systematic error. You know, you guys know you could pay somebody half a day for a couple of hundred euros to put in an Excel spreadsheet which would resolve this issue. All right, Kevin McDade from you boys and greenest. Thanks very much for talking about it today. No problem. Thanks, guys. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Bakery, ooh, we got involved in a logistics company in Waterford, partly involved in a furniture shop in that loan. We leased the pub in, in Tralee. John Delaney could run anything. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, when he comes up, then give me a shout. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow, too, don't forget that. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, just to uh, go back to the FAI's statement, and they sign off, and we continue to call on the SFA. So, they're, they're, and as you said earlier on, Ken, John Delaney brought up the Scottish FA angle. Uh, with Ray Darcy this morning and this and they pushed it really heavily in their statement yesterday as well. I think it's been outlined that okay, that's fine, but that that's kind of a separate issue to to what you boys in green are talking about. But anyway, we continue to call on the SFA to provide adequate numbers of seats for Irish supporters and in the meantime we'll strive to find remedies for ticketless supporters where possible. So strive to find in the short term, 
a lot of these people who are missing out on tickets will probably just miss out on them. Yeah. I think what uh, the the likes of um, you boys in green and uh, Kevin, who we spoke to there, want is to just sort of try to make sure this doesn't happen in the future. Yeah. And there uh, well, just, just about a system. You know, why is there no system? Why don't we Why don't we do that? It's, it seems like the best way to avoid uh, this problem or future f- future you know public relations setbacks. Uh, of this type would be just to set up a, a, a fair system, which everybody understands and which is transparent. Why not? Why not just do that? Make sure to have a listen out to our other show, brand new program out today. We had the winner of the Dublin Marathon in the studio, Elliot Two from Kenya. Uh, brilliant insight from him into the life of it was own life, but what he describes as a humble background, a remote part of that country, from a huge family, loads of brothers and sisters. Uh, and wanting, needing really to make a career out of running so that he can provide for them. Uh, there was a ten thousand euro prize prize purse for the Dublin Marathon, for example, and he's literally going back, flying back uh, in, the, in the next day or two uh, to Nairobi uh, to try to do some nice things for his family and help them out there. So it re- I, I would go as far as saying probably the nicest person that we've had in the studio, nicer than you even. This guy strikes Ooh. me as an even nicer man. Pretty pretty nice guy then. Forty years ago today. 3-0 versus the USSR at home in a packed Daily Mount, a more than packed Daily Mount Park in a Euro 76 qualifier. Don Givens was the man responsible for the three goals. Don, great to talk to you in the programme. Uh, does that remain the best memory of your Ireland career? Um, yeah, probably is. Obviously, um, I think it was about a year later I scored four against Turkey, but the, the three against Russia probably meant more because of, uh, because of the quality of the opposition. What sort of quality was that? What were you expecting when the USSR arrived? Well, to be honest, we never really... Um, well, we obviously, you know, they were a big nation. They still are, but they're a big nation at the time, football-wise. Um, I don't think we had any great uh, plans, if you like. We were, we were starting to come together as a team. You know, Johnny had taken over, Johnny Giles, and we sort of concentrated a little bit on what we were going to do. There wasn't a way to stop them or things like that we that's the way it was we we you know we we were um a team that was sort of um picked itself not picked itself but the, the same team went out a few times on the trot and and over that period quite a bit you know so you got to know the other players very well and uh it was almost like playing the club side yeah and the the quality of player uh as well, I mean, you mentioned John was still playing player manager. Liam Brady made his debut in, in yeah. that game. Yeah. Steve Highway was playing. I think he missed a lot of games, but he was back for that one. So That's you're talking about serious players there. Yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, oh no, we, we we had some good players. There was no two ways about it. And and you know, with John's uh, adding a bit more professionalism to 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 the setup, if you like, um, yeah, we 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 felt we were making a bit of progress. How did the how did the whole thing work with John as the player manager? Is it, is it, I mean. It's just a strange situation to have a player manager. How did the rest of the players cope with that? Well, I think John had so so much uh, respect as a uh, as a as a football man. You know, John. There was never any sort of um, long team talks from John as manager. He, he, you know, John. John could sort of say something in two minutes, and it would sum it all up. And you'd know what was expected yeah, from you uh, from him. He was expecting, and 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 you did it because if you didn't, you you, you got told at half time. You know that um, everything was straight and above board with John, and you, you knew what it was. The quality of the player, we don't need to talk about. Um, his man management was good. He, he was very simple. The, the whole setup was very simple, really. Yeah, I, I actually watched the video of this game recently, and uh, I saw <laughs> I saw Brady. It's Brady's debut. The ball comes to him, and his very first touch in international football. Is to go past the man in midfield. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that, yeah. What What's the effect on the rest of the players to see a new guy come into the team and start doing things like that? Well, I think that, that, that you know it's it's his debut, and you know he's he's in the team at Arsenal, and he's he's obviously at that time a great prospect. Um, but you know, I, I've actually seen the, the video um, in the forty years. I've seen it a few times, and amazing the. Um, the composure of a, an 18-year-old lad making his international debut, uh, Liam on that, and I think that probably should have said it to all of us that you know he, he was special. Your own role uh, in the game was well, it's very key, given that you scored the <laughs> scored yeah. the three goals. Don, uh, you say you've, you've watched him back quite a bit. Do you uh, how well do you remember actually banging, particularly banging in those brilliant headers? Yeah, no, I, I um, 
I think the, the first one was obviously a, a decent header from from a reasonable distance, but there was pace on the ball. So you, you all you've got to do at that point then is is deflect it into the right area, you know. Um, and and the same with um, the last one, we it was something that we'd worked on, Jazzy. You know, put his hand on the free kick, and as soon as I took off, he just popped it into the near post, and I glanced it in. Um, I think the other one might have been a little bit uh, ropey. <laughs> they, all, ropey. They, all, they all count as his. Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm not taking it back, but yeah. I'm just saying that that probably the first one was uh, set, us, set us off and running. And uh, you know, I think that really surprised me over the thing is you know over the years you, you remember the goals. We don't remember actually how well we played. Yeah. We played really good football, you know, and uh, and caused them an awful lot of problems. You know, the, the scenes, the crowd scenes, look amazing now. Yeah. Watching them back, yeah, it's just you, you're not going to see that for health and safety reasons. You're not going to see. Yeah, no, I'm never going to see it again. Sitting no, on roofs and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely uh, unbelievable. And, and, and I don't know because I mean it was a Wednesday afternoon. There was a lot of kids shouldn't have been there. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I've rarely seen actually a player enjoy scoring the goals uh, quite so much. I mean, you were running into the crowd, although the crowd was pretty much right there in the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think sometimes, you know, over the years you look back and you think, oh, God, you know. But when when you score, for a little while you're sort of away with the fairies, you know. Hmm. And and, uh, and sometimes it's a bit embarrassing later on in life. But that's that's the way it is. And, you know, and that, that day seemed to be because of the crowd and... You know, it really was an unbelievable atmosphere. You had the return game, obviously, away in Moscow. What kind of an experience was was that? Were you playing that day? Well, it was. In actual fact, I think we played the return in Kiev. Oh, in Kiev, OK. Because what, what the Russians had done, they they sort of, not dismantled the team, but made basically Dynamo Kiev players, you know. And mm. we went to Kiev, and uh, I think we lost 1-0. But... Um, you know, I don't suppose we were... Our result, really, the bad result in that group for us was on the way back from Kiev. We stopped off and played Switzerland, and, and we lost in, in Bern. And that was probably the one that knocked us out of, of getting um, a chance of qualifying that at that point. Yeah, because you were... Clo- As we said, the team that you had was brilliant. You you yourself scored a load of goals, four goals against Turkey, the big win. Not, not that they were that strong at, at the time, but... Yeah. A good home results, but you, I think you drew away with Turkey as well, and you mentioned that you lost to Switzerland there, which is what that stopped was, you qualifying. That was the, probably the vital result that, that, that cost us, and, and now when you think about it, um, I'm sure at the time it was financial, the uh, the arrangement to, to, to play the two games, if you like, come on the way back from Russia, stop at Switzerland and, and, and play the game. You know, yeah, I, I, I just think that they were probably combining expenses and things like that, which... Um, you know, it's understandable, I suppose, at the time. Does it give you any pride to, to look back and think, I was the top goal scorer in qualifying across Europe for Euro 1976? Yes, yeah, it does. Of course it does. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was uh, in fact, I think there's, um, oh, even, even after the finals, there wasn't anybody who scored more in the qualifying and the finals, if you know what I mean, when yeah, you yeah. up. So, uh, yeah, we need top scorer for the uh, European Championships 1976, uh, even though we didn't get there. Yeah. yeah, of course it does. It gives you a little bit of a, a boost, you know. Dead right. Listen, Don, it's been great talking to you about all that today. We appreciate you taking the call. Thanks a million. Not at all. All the best. Brilliant to hear. Don still uh, rightly proud of that achievement. Eight goals in those qualifiers. I'm amazed that nobody managed to score enough goals in the tournament of the teams who qualified. Well, the, the tournament. tournament. You see, remember the tournament. Only eight teams in it, probably. Four. Four teams in the finals it. tournament. Okay. Um, it was the one that was won by Czechoslovakia. They beat Germany in the finals. So there was oh, also this is the only. This is the penalty shootout defeat. The Penenka. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there was there was also. So I think the way they did it was two legged semis and then a final uh, between Germany and Czechoslovakia. Uh, there were, the, if Ireland had topped the group, if Ireland, for instance, had beaten. They beat Turkey 4 0 at home and they drew one all away. So if they won that that game against Turkey, then they would have topped the group and been into the quarterfinals, which then they would have obviously had to get through. I think they were, I think there were two legged quarterfinals again. Although funnily, Don referenced the Switzerland result as the one that he thought killed them a little bit more, and that's. Mm. I mean, well, whole, I think you could you could hear what Don was saying yeah. there. You know, we that that one probably particularly rankles, even though Switzerland were a better team than Turkey. 
Turkey, they should have won that game, you know, but it obviously rankles particularly because of the circumstances in which they found themselves pitching up in Bern. Yeah, what he describes now, uh, nowadays would be a double header and you'd have your, you'd know from a long time in advance, you've got this game on a Friday and this game on a Tuesday. Sounds like this, the, the way he describes it there, it's, you're going to play this one match. Yeah. Oh, actually, by the way, would you mind just on, on your way back, maybe just the following morning, just play this game against Switzerland? Just save get it, it done. Save God, a bit of what's money. That? Oh, it looks like the plane is running out of fuel. <laughs> we'll have to land. You know what? We could play Switzerland while we're while we're here. What do you think, lads? Get another, we'll two, yeah, get another two points in the yeah. bag. <laughs> I see John Giles seething at the front yeah. of the plane. It's pretty amazing, though. You know, to to humble the um, the mighty the evil Soviet empire, Soviets. Yeah, the evil communist empire, as it then was. I mean, we. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if there was any trouble around them. Uh, you know, I don't mean trouble. There was no, not that there was any hooliganism or anything, mm-hmm. but more the sort of uh, whether the church was um, objecting to us. I think Archbishop McQuaid had left the scene at this stage, so... He uh, he had died the previous year, actually. Yeah. He died the previous year, so maybe if he'd still been around, he might have he might have been trying to uh, to get the much banned, you know? Yeah, but even if, even if it had been years previously, surely it's okay to have those teams over as long as you beat them, send them on their way. Send them on the way. Show, uh, show them what democracy is all about. <laughs> <laughs> a, three, a democratic three nil pasting at the hands yeah. of Don Gibbons. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't okay in the case of Yugoslavia. No, that's true. Um, when, uh, but I mean, he was maybe he was a bit more powerful in the early fifties. I was. I remember a friend of mine telling me once that they the original plan. You know, Marion Square, that sort of par- yeah. park there. Yeah. That originally that was supposed to be this like super cathedral. Oh yeah, like a gigantic cathedral with a spire, like you know, like the Burj uh, Dubai or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that every morning when the sun rose in the east, the shadow would fall across Leinster House and remind everyone in there of who was really wearing the trousers. But uh, this megalomaniacal plan, uh, <laughs> <laughs> fortunately, so, Mont- wasn't there a Simpsons episode where Monty Birds tried to block out the sun? Mm-hmm. Is that basically what we're talking about? Here? Something, something yeah. a bit like that, but uh, but it never. Um, it never came to pass. That's it for most. Do have a listen to our first show. I mentioned Elliot too there earlier on, the winner of the double marathon. We also had uh, Brian Carney on to talk about Ben Teo is making his debut for Leinster. Brian is another man who went from rugby league to rugby union, so had a great insight into some of the challenges that Teo is going to face starting tomorrow evening at the RDS. In the meantime, thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank, thank you, you very Ken. much. Thank you very much, Kieran and Owen. Do drop us a, a tweet at Second Captains if you want to do that. You can also uh, email Murph. Yeah, why don't you get on to secondcaptains.com and all of our contact details there. Perfect. There. Chat to you then. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.